Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that is already happening? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's no news here. The entire world is experiencing a life altering event at the same time. COVID 19, the coronavirus, is changing just about everything we do personally, professionally, socially, and even spiritually. As we make our way out of this worldwide crisis, who's going to thrive and who's going to flounder? We're all hoping for things to go back to normal. That's not going to happen. We're going to have to find a new normal. Finding this new normal will take extraordinary leadership from inspired to do the right thing the right way. Some people we never expected will rise and take that leadership mantle, while others who should have stepped won't. These real leaders will get us through this crisis. Maybe one of these leaders is you. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen, you're never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, how has this crisis altered your life? How are you determining and finding your own normal? If this crisis is giving you a life-altering event that can inspire others, Visit the Life Altering Event page at voiceamerica.com. Click on email the host and tell me about this event that changed your life. We will review it for content, and if it fits, we'll use it in a future broadcast. Let me share your story with the world, ladies and gentlemen. Well, today we're talking about leading during a crisis. Now, we're in the midst of this Corona-19 crisis. Now, I recently read a quote from Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Club. And I'm going to quote here. Every organization and culture times of crisis. The difference with high-performing cultures seems to be that they use a crisis to crystallize their purpose. That's the end of the quote. Ladies and gentlemen, the best leaders and the best organizations prepare for crisis in advance. They may not will be, but they have contingency plans in place. This allows the best leaders to press the reset button at the first sign of a pending crisis. Now, this statement by Mr. Coyle is more important now than ever. The world's in a state of fear and anxiety over this virus. When is it going to be over? When are we going to be able to go back to work? When can we get out of our Rational thought is replaced by fear, which is linked to modern mentality. Every media outlet is giving us a minute-to-minute update on the virus. Now, depending on what news you listen to, the information is often contradictory. What we all want is some sort of stability, but we're not getting it. When fear and emotions are high, intelligence is low. Now, most of our businesses are closed. If we're lucky, and we are in our staff, can work from home. Social distancing is a word I never even heard of until last month is now a standard component in every conversation. We need strong, calm, rational, trustworthy, and decisive leadership during times of crisis. 
Now, who are these leaders? And what traits do these best crisis leaders have that others simply don't possess? Now, rather than me doing all this research, I went to my friend Sam Altowell, who is an expert in leadership and organization development. Now, Sam has led many organizations that have been in crisis back to stability, efficiency, and ultimately back to profitability. In 2015 and 16, Sam and his team led his organization to win the best place to work status in the San Francisco North Bay Business Journal. That's a mouthful, but it was an amazing task of what Sam did there. He's also the author of the book, On the Edge of Effectiveness, Refocusing HR Efforts to Strengthen Organizations. Sam, welcome back to Life Altering Events. Good morning, and thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Sam, this is right up your alley here. You have been in many crisis situations many times throughout your career. Now, what does it take to lead during a crisis? Great question. You know, as you've said before, I've been in leadership for a long, long time. But more importantly, I work closely with leaders from anywhere from supervisors to basically to CEOs. And having worked with them so long and so closely about so many areas, so many difficult situations, I was able to, throughout the years, observe really, really good, you know, strong leaders and not so good some other ones. But what they really shared, one of the things that is important is during a crisis that I felt that where leadership really rises. And one thing emphasis, that all the different leaders who stepped up during the leadership, one thing they do not have in common, and that is they don't have the same personality. They all have different personalities. They all have different approaches, but they share a common element. And some of, and one of those, some of those elements are really are what have been been successful during the during times during crisis. I'll start with one, and you just mentioned that just a little bit ago. Is calmness in the adverse conditions? They suppress anxiety while considering all probable options. In other words, Frank, they never panic. They see to them problem, they look at it, and they try to basically look at all their options before they act. Now, in many times, these leaders who have that kind of show very little emotions. And I want to emphasize one thing, is that sometimes people may misconstrue that as not, somebody not caring. That's not true. A lot of times, these leaders don't show that kind of emotions. There's no emotional outburst because they're really trying to basically figure out what really the problem is, trying to go to the core of the problem and actually come up with a solution. So if they're very, very, to stay calm is really, is really imperative. And, they ha- and it's hard for them to panic. Again, rarely any of these people have the same personality, but they have that one major trait. Another trait that I've really, really considered and I thought that was uh, amazing is that when you look at them, they have this unyielding optimism. They have no thought of giving up. They have no thought of giving up of anything else. They always look to something positive. They always find a way to make things positive. And they're looking for the positive way. Because you think about it, when somebody's optimistic and have a positive attitude, they tend to see the world a little differently. A little of the, you know, the cup is half full rather than half empty. So they tend to have that ability to basically want to make things better because they believe in things are going to get better. And that's very important. And another trait that I felt that was really strong as well is that they have uncompromising faith. 
Interesting, these leaders, they all have faith in something, whether in God, whether in humanity, but they do have faith in their abilities as well. And they believe in something. They have this tendency to believe in some spirituality or believe in, again, believe in humanity, but believe in something that almost gives them that code of ethics, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they, and they kind of, they're driven by that as well. Another, of course, is they stay disciplined, Frank. One of the things that I'm seeing over and over in Christ situation, people lose their discipline. Not these individuals. These individuals really focus, and they're very focused. They get up in the morning, they do the same thing in the morning, they stay, they stay on top of the task, and nothing shakes them. That disciplinary, that disciplinary behavior is imperative as well. Another, which is, well, I'll probably discuss a little more detail, is they, have, they, they know when to commit to act, and they also understand when not to act. But they understand the most important thing is when you act, you're going to have sometimes a positive impact solution up to 70%. And they're never going to be 100% positive solutions when they do act, but they consider all these avenues. And I'll, and I'll, give, you a little, I'll give you a little uh, um, sample a little later. Okay? okay. One of the other things that I noticed is that also these individuals have an ability to be really human beings. They may not have, let's say, some of them, for example, may not have that great personality or so on, but during a crisis, they understand what being a human being is about, and they understand how to talk to everybody at anybody at any time. Whatever, how their personality is, for some reason or other, they become differently during a crisis, and they have an ability to basically develop strong empathy, sympathy, and talk to anyone anyone and anybody at any time. Let me jump in here for a second. Let me jump in here for a second, Sam. Sure, absolutely. I've heard you say many, many times, and I want you to elaborate on that because this is a big deal, over-communicate during difficult times. How does this play? Sometimes people over-communicate, and what happens is when you over-communicate, you tend to basically confuse others. You really need to stick really basically to the point Make your point and then ask and answer questions when they come up. It's really, again, it goes back to that discipline about communication and understanding what people want. And the more you communicate, the more you throw in a lot of facts that maybe they may kind of confuse one or the other. So you really want to stick to the point. So if you're talking, for example, about the virus and what was the next steps of this virus example, then stick to one, two, three. Because if you start to basically go into one, two, three, four, and then explain something overly, then it becomes a problem. Then it becomes confusing. And people tend to respond easier, better to questions, answers, and ask questions direct. I mean, answer the question directly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's basically keep it short and sweet, stick to the facts, and move on. Correct. Correct. Perfect. I mean, you, th- you think about it. I mean, when we're basically having a conversation with each other, a lot of times, or with a group of people, a lot of times, or in meetings, you never want somebody to dominate the conversation where no one else can have a have a you know an input. You really want to make your point. You want to allow somebody else to speak. You want to allow somebody to ask questions. And again, that keeps you on point. And instead of over explaining something, if you're over explaining something. 
chances are you may, you may not be um, uh, confident about the topic, and that, that may come off that way. And so you really don't want to come off that way as being, being someone uh, that you're not sure about the topic, so you're over-explaining it. You really mm-hmm. just want to explain it from a one, two, three bullet points and, and take questions and answer questions as well. Perfect. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, absolutely. Going back to the commitment to act or not to act when it's only 70% solution. Um, this is one of a really important topic because the topic, I would say topic, I would say important element. A lot of leaders during, when you accept leadership, you accept decisions that you're going to have to make. And those decisions you make are going to impact people. They impact others. And, this, and you're hoping, of course, and you're planning on it, that it would impact everyone in a 100% positive way. But that's not the way life works. And that's not the way crisis works. You're going to have to make, to make decisions. The leaders have to make decisions where it's going to imp- hopefully going to impact the majority in a positive way, and it's going to impact some negatively. I'll give you an example of that. And this recently happened. The mayor of San Francisco, she shut down San Francisco during this crisis. And that decision, I don't think, was very easy. I think it was very difficult. But if you think about the negative impact of that decision, was basically, well, people stopped working, businesses are not moving, people are not making money. On the other hand, the positive impact of that decision is, well, she might have saved a lot of lives, a lot of infections who basically did not spread, and now San Francisco and actually California has some of the better numbers from an infection rate. She took action when it's really needed. And that action right there gave her the ability basically to, when you look at that from a, from a, you know, from a kind of a big scale, of a, kind of a macro level you're looking at, you say, wow, well, the decision was basically the majority of people were impacted positively. There was some negative impact. That decision happens every day. Not necessarily in a crisis situation like that, but it happens a lot in leadership. And you're faced with a lot of times with a lot of decisions that way. So when you make a decision, you have to commit to that decision and say, you know what, I know it's going to impact the majority in a positive way. I have to accept the fact it's going to impact others in a negative way as well. And unfortunately, that decision has to come by leaders. When you accept leadership, that's one of the decisions you make. Now, we have both, Sam, been uh, done turnarounds of failing organizations, and one of the things that I've heard over and over and over is uh, people get paralyzed with fear in a crisis. They uh-huh. need more. They need another report. They need to see more data. They need, they're always wanting something more. What do you say to those folks when, when you constantly see this, 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 give me more data, people? It, that's a great question, actually. Uh, you know, I, there's another part of that element is, is basically no one to act, one to not act. There are times when, I will say, start with this one, where there's something happens and many people are pressuring the leader to act and they're forced leadership to act just so they can basically calm everybody down. And the act may be kind of frivolous, in a sense where they need to really kind of stop a minute, slow down a minute, and actually kind of look at the core of the problem before they act. In that case, case situation, they have to have a lot of communication with the others to, to show them that they're working on it and they're doing something about it. And, and I think, for example, I'll give you an example, our governor is doing that a great job with it that they're, during this crisis. The question you have to ask is whether they, some of these people who will keep wanting data and data and data, well, 
these individuals have to, at some point, again, goes back to this thing, you have to come up with this decision. You're not going to have every data possible. And again, it goes back to that 70%, 80% kind of a majority versus you know, 80-20 kind of a ratio where you have to act. And what I say to these leaders is that you can't take too long. You're never going to have enough data. You're never going to have this. You're going to have to work on what you have. Um, for example, many lawyers, when they work on cases, you know, they're, you know, they're working what they have. When you're going to court, you're working with basically on the evidence you have, the facts that you can't make up evidence, you can't make up facts. You go what you have and you do the best you can with it. And so while data is very important to have, it is, but sometimes you have to really kind of ask yourself a question, am I really taking too long here? Am I basically not acting? And I'll say the question, and, and many times, yes, because you really have to basically at some point make a decision and act. And even because, and I say for those people who are doing that, is that there's a little bit of fear from them to do so because they want that 100% positive impact to others. But unfortunately, they have to see the reality is that your decision is never going to be 100% positive impact. It may be 60-40, it may be 70-30, but you still have to act. And the thing we found there is once you make a decision and you start acting based on the best available data, it's like, it's. I've heard you say it, it's like setting the sailboat out and, and now the boat's out and, and uh, you can adjust the sails as we go along. That decision mm-hmm. doesn't have to be forever. It just, let's get something started. Is yeah, that right? Absolutely, absolutely right. Because once you get something started, you're always adjusting during the way. If you look at anything you implement, you don't just implement it and walk away from it. You have to see it through from the beginning to the end, and you have to constantly see where there was status of it. Are you going to the right direction? Do we need to switch directions and everything else? And really, it's basically, um, it's just managing process. And when you're managing a process like that, you have to stay on top of the process all the time. The data may change. You're absolutely right. And that is an area where you basically start changing directions. At the same time, you want to make sure you're communicating those changes and you're communicating to others that this is what's going on for them to understand that you are on top of it. Most important thing is that, yes, you set the, you set the process in motion, but who's going to manage the process? You have to, from the beginning all the way to the end. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against a break here. Sam Altwell will be back with us for two more segments. This is is intriguing, particularly now during this time of crisis, that we need leaders. And what are the traits do the best leaders have? Don't go away. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. 
When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Sakari. This is Life Altering Events. We're talking with Sam Altawell. Now, Sam is an expert in the areas of leadership and organizational development. He has spent the majority of his professional life dealing with organizations in crisis. And given that we are all, the world has now experienced the same crisis, we felt he is the best individual to have on to reassure us. Here are the traits that the best leaders have. So leaders pay attention. Sam, one of the things I've heard you say many, many times is the best leaders, they have like dozens of thoughts or things that they that they want to implement, but they're, they're so involved in the day-to-day activity that they don't take the time to think things through or try or look at how, what they could implement down the road. Now, whether we like it or not, we have downtime. So what are you suggesting to these leaders now when we're in this period when we can press the reset button? I start with take advantage of this time. One of the most important things, in fact, I posted an an article, or not an article, excuse me, a post on LinkedIn asking other professionals, what are you doing during this time? Um, One of the most, we discovered, obviously, we have more time than we than we, we expected. We, most people thought we we're going to go back in two weeks and everything is going to go back to the normality, but, but we know that's not going to be so. So the question is, you know, what do you do with this downtime? Do you just watch Netflix or do you actually make the best out of your time? We always complain during work, everybody. We don't have time for these projects. We don't have time to brainstorm. We don't have time. Well, now you do. You really do. And I go back to something that what leaders have to be doing, and all those who want to be leaders someday as well, is during this time, what are you thinking about best, how you improve your skills at work or improve the place that you work for? How can you improve your department, your company? How can you bring add value to it? These are some of the questions you'd be asking yourself with working with any organization. Am I doing the right things right now? Could we do be better? 
are our processes, you know, good enough, or do they need improvement? Processes always need improvement. We know that. Things can always get better, and you can always add more value to the organization and the people. From my perspective, of course, being in HR, my customers are employees and leadership. And that customer base is always, I'm always conscious about my customers. And so I think about, how do I make life better for them? And what do I do during this time? Thing with, well, my suggestion, of course, is to always make sure you're still in contact with your staff and you still have meetings and you still do the things you're doing. Have a brainstorm meetings. One of the most important things that works during, during regular hours, so to speak, or even off hours, which I think would be probably be better now, that you have time to really brainstorm some great ideas and how to be effective and how to be efficient in, in your process and how do you do things better. And nothing better than empowering your staff to do this. Giving your staff, let them, let them run with the ball. Let them come up with some great ideas. Now, I want to emphasize one thing. There's, not just, not, there's no such thing as a bad idea. There's just some ideas that don't work at the time. It doesn't mean they're bad. They just don't work at the time. But nonetheless, bring them to the table. And for leaders, they should be leading that, that part. I will say that. Lead the part. Make sure that you contact your staff. Make sure you empower them. Make sure you do the things you need. And for staff, and even for those who want to be led, don't be afraid to talk to your leader. Don't be afraid to approach your leader and say, why don't we do this while we have some downtime? I'm sure he or she would appreciate it. I think so. I know somebody came to me and said, remember, Sam, that, that project that we had lined up, you know, we didn't, never got to it. We should do it now. I'll think, wow, yeah, that's a great idea because I completely forgot about it. Those type of situations, you need to be active. And most importantly, you need to keep your skills and your, you know, more as well as, as sharp. To do it, keep on doing it. But think about how you're going to basically improve your organization. When you go back to normal work hours, and I'm going to say normal because we don't know what normality is going to be like, you have to basically see how all this is going to impact the work, what things are going to be different, how are we going to be, are going to be more efficient, and more so on how we're going to do our job better to help the organization thrive. Now, the focus for me, as you know this, and I've always talked about that, always focus about improvement. Continuous about improvement, continuous about improvement, because there's, you never get to a point where you, you can't improve something. So that mindset should be there today as well, as much as it should have been there yesterday. And if we're not basically involved in that, we're not thinking that way, well, we're going to fall in complacency. Once you fall in complacency, you fall in mediocrity. And, and that makes you an ineffective leader. And so the most important thing to me is that at this time, find ways to make something different, brainstorm, talk to others, make sure things are, are, are actually still, you still have that mindset of work and basically what you can do to improve basically the, the organization, yourself, and the team around you. Absolutely true. Great, great points. One thing, uh, Sam, we had a guest on uh, a few weeks ago, and they said, look, one of the things that that we tend to do as as leaders is we, we find something that's considered a best practice and we run with that. And we know we should adjust, don't. And so many times we're not looking for what's the next practice, what's going to take us to that next level. I've heard you talk about that. Would you elaborate on that a little more? 
Yeah, I, you know, that word best practice, it kind of always makes me a little kind of, you know, <laughs> laugh a little bit. Not in a, in a bad way. I just think, because I think one of the things that we really, best practice doesn't always work for everybody. What works for some company doesn't work for the other company. I mean, I think it's a, I would say it's a, it's a good process, but if I were to take a so-called the best practice, and look at that best practice. Can I improve upon it? The first thing I ask, does it fit with my organization? Can I do it? Second thing, can I improve upon it? And why does it have to be something? There's no reason for you not to come up with the best practice. And I'm, you know, I'm not advocating recreating the wheel, but then again, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to recreate the wheel to fit your organization because, again, every organization is differently. And for me, when I look at best practice, I think of it, okay, great. This has been practiced before. It's great. Has, for example, let's say in HR, you have this practice of onboarding, bring an employee in, sign them up there, get them going, get them to work. The process is pretty simple. Okay, now, does it work for, is that, is that onboarding process the same for everybody? No. I've seen many practices have been much more efficient in terms of maybe, let's say, online as far as speed concerned. On the other hand, I've seen ones that are basically a lot more personal, a lot more of this that has a lot more employee, positive employee relation aspect of it. So best practice for me, I always look at what's best for the organization. And if you have to create your own best practice, then you do so. And I'm going to look at something. Does it fit with my organization? Does it fit with the culture of the organization? Can I, can I implement this or can I even improve upon it? That's a great point. When you mentioned on this continuing improvement, which is a topic you preach about a deal of time, uh, it, it made me think of a number of organizations that I've worked with, and they get to a point, and then they become satisfied, and then they want to milk the product or solution, and rather than finding that continuing improvement. And at this time, where we have time, showing customers and your employees that we're doing things. We're taking these steps to get better, to improve in these areas. And as you mentioned, sending it out and communicating it. Because one of the things that, that I think we've both found in doing turnarounds is the, your staff and your customers are going to remember. They're going to remember what you did during the hard times. Mm-hmm. And that will true. Good. Run Wait, with that. I'm sorry. Continue. No, go ahead. Run with that, Sam. That's, that's absolutely true. They, they remember, somebody once said to me, it's like anyone can lead on good times. Anyone can sail a ship, ship excuse me, can, can sail a ship when the water is basically, you know, very calm. But when the water is basically, when you have a stormy weather, how do you sail that ship? How are you going to be the captain of that ship? That's really the key right there. And that's, not hard, that's, that's hard to do. But you're absolutely right. People remember during the hard times. People remember when you turn something around. Even, even if you had a couple of times when you're not, let's say you didn't have a great days, they're going to remember the time when you turned something around, and, and, that's, and that's really, really big because they, they felt the tightness, they felt the anxiety, and then someone comes along, and that person made a difference, and that's what they remember. And what I've seen is organizations who and, and do that all the time have customers that don't ever look for another alternative. They just know you're there. You were there in the good times. You were there in the hard times. I don't need to look for anybody else. <laughs> Same with employees. Is that what you think? 
I see that a lot. I see that they say, well, you know what, We're, everything's good enough. Why do, we, why do we need to change? And what happens is that it's, it's well, the same reason why you eat healthy is because it's a long-term, it has a long-term health factors. Um, it's kind of that same situation. You keep practicing the way you're practicing, and, and sooner or later you will feel the, the detriment coming in. Just doing regular practice, things change in the world. Things change in business. And what you mentioned before, best practice, today best practice doesn't even exist. Example of this, who, who is known to be probably the most profitable retail company? Amazon, correct? Yes. And Amazon yes. was delivering overnight and so on. Right now, Amazon is having a great deal of trouble. They cannot deliver. They cannot bring in products. They cannot do what, it, what they can do. That best practice of Amazon, what worked prior, prior to COVID-19, it's not working now. So I'm sure Amazon's probably doing something about it or thinking about the next steps because right now that's not working. And things like that change. They change your practice. They change your, your so-called normality. And you, you somewhat have to be prepared for that. Um, I mentioned this in my book. I talk about um, layoffs, one of the things that I hate to do the most. I've been through it. I've, you know, during a bad economy, I laid people off, and I hate it because it's one of those things that you're letting people go that really don't deserve to be let go. Yet we know, we know, we've seen history that, you know, economy come up and the economy's down. But what are you doing to make sure that when the economy's down, that you're basically having to cut that contingency plan for it? And you mentioned contingency plan earlier today, and I thought that's the first thing I thought to my head because I did always talk about a contingency plan. That contingency plan goes with that, with that mindset of always improving because if you improve things all the time, then that's part of your contingency plan as well is that you're, you're going you're gonna to overcome some of those obstacles that you, you wouldn't have, let's say, back in 2008, and now we're facing them again. That's always been a, a, a crisis thing. The, I, was in the, I was in the Air Force, and, and I worked for a colonel who would have so many what-if meetings, okay? He would come in and say, all right, this is the situation. This just occurred. What are we going to do? Correct. All right? And we would constantly, he was constantly putting things out there just – to make everybody think is that, and then once you get that, you break that, that st- that static mindset of individuals, and they start thinking. More and more ideas come out, as you mentioned earlier. Is that something you're you're seeing more and more of now? These people trying to do contingencies. You know, a contingency plan during a crisis is really when you start one, it's not going to work. I think you really need to adjust is one thing you have to do during a crisis, and you have to adjust quickly. But you, a contingency plan is knowing that at least, you know, actually foreseeing that someday we would be in this situation. Now, did anybody expect a disease that would impact the economy? No, but they knew something would impact the economy. They knew that. The question mm-hmm. is, what did you take, what steps did you take to make sure that it doesn't harm you? And a lot of, some companies I work for, they just did nothing. I mean, it's basically kitchen sink economics. You, ha- you say for a rainy day for a reason. Why? So that when things like that happen, that you're basically e- still economically strong. 
when you find that billion-dollar companies are asking for a handout, then you start to get nervous. And I start yes. to ask myself, ask myself like, where, is the, where was your contingency plan? This whole time that you're building up profit and building everything else, that should have been a contingency plan. But again, that's something that has to be discussed and has to be brought to the table and not just something that's an afterthought. I love that point, Sam. It, things were looked like they were going extremely well in the economy, and then organizations are are back at the table wanting wanting a bailout. And I, I had the exact same reaction. What have you been doing the last five years? What have you been doing since the last crisis? What's going on here? Exactly. There are some companies that have taken that steps, and you don't hear about them. You don't hear about them actually um, – Asking for a handout, you, you also don't hear about them not paying their employees. There's a reason for that. They had a plan in place. You know the economy is the way it is. Anyone who can see a little history, we have, we've had recessions before. We'll have them again. We've got them now. We're going to have them again someday. But the most important thing is that, just like everything else, it's, just my, it's called kitchen, kitchen table economics. You basically save for a rainy day. And that's really what it is. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we're up against another break here. This has been a fascinating conversation with Sam Alderwell. We have one more segment left. This will be the best one yet. Don't go away. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going into our third segment here with Sam Altowell, who is an expert in leadership and organizational development. Sam has worked with leaders throughout organizations his entire professional career. And one of the things he's been explaining to us is that great leaders rise during times of crisis. And great leaders have certain traits in common. And that's what we have been talking about here. Now, in the last segment, we ended talking about the business cycle and that crisis and downturns and recessions, they're normal. They're going to happen. And it's part of being prepared. That's what your leader, that's what you're supposed to be doing. We've been through these before, and we're going to get through this thing. And just in the last 19 years, we've had 9-11. We've had a financial meltdown, the collapse of the housing market. This is our third major recession. We've seen corporate outsizing, trade wars, and now we've got this COVID-19. And every time we face a crisis in the United States, there's a, a groundswell of patriotism that we're going to get through this when we pull ourselves together. Sam, what does that patriotism mean during a time of crisis? It's a great question. You know, it's for the longest time, and especially during this time, I notice it the most, how people and coming together or people not coming together. And I think in many, many times we think of patriotism as that, well, just saying I support the troops or putting the flag in front of your house and during the 4th of July, etc. That's enough of being patriotic. Not true. Patriotism is basically doing what's best for the nation over yourself. And this is a time when I felt that this topic is important to talk about because I've noticed many things that I thought, wow, this is just unpatriotic, just unselfish. And things like hoarding food and toilet paper and just bad behavior in such a way that people were not considering others, especially like you have the elderly, you have the disabled who really need the same thing you need and not considering your fellow man. You know, back in World War II, if you can really go back there, the nation called for, you know, for assistance from, the, from everybody. And there was this huge, huge country helping from anywhere from women working in basically in factories, building planes and ships to be recycled, to recycling materials, to making sure, no, there's no price gouging. Um, and actually, you know, doing other things like that during the time. And not to mention just, and, and not to mention the celebrities were involved in other ways to, to help support the country. The country came together. And that's one of the most important things that I saw, you know, in that history. And it's really remarkable what they all done. When you really read about it, you find all these remarkable people did a lot of things, especially I think the women labor have done tremendous. Yet today, I mean, unfortunately, I have to say that I've seen a little, you know, I've seen a little bit disheartening when I saw individuals that are, that are not only, beside the fact I said, hoarding food, but they're not following basically government guidelines on social distancing, and, uh, and other things that, that would basically be best for everyone else. You know, they're, they're doing things where they've taken up time for the police, the fire department, and so on, and which, you know, during this time, these individuals really have a hard time and they have to stay focused. And all because some of them are basically just thinking themselves. 
And really, right now is the time to not think of yourself. You think about the, what's best for the nation and best for the people of the nation. If we have to quarantine for another month so we can get back to somewhat work in the, fu- in the, in the near future, then so be it. Whatever is best for the nation. Unfortunately, there has been people today, and I've seen them in various, whether it's news or people I knew, they would try just to violate that and for the sake of fun. And that is unpatriotic. To me, you really have to think about the nation's as, a, as an interest first before your own. That's absolutely true. I live down in San Diego, and it's, they've done a pretty good job here. Uh, they've closed the beaches. Um, they are trying to keep people away. And down here, there's, there seems to be a, a, a very good effort. And then we, then we read about other places where they kept the beaches open, uh, people coming to various religious services, and let's be smart, folks. Let's be smart. This is time, I've heard you say this multiple times, put politics aside, support the experts who have the facts, turn off the news, turn on your imagination. Elaborate on that. You know, you said earlier today about the news being sometimes, well, whoever you hear, you get mixed messages. You do. Um, people are drawn to the news a lot because a lot of times they're looking for signs of hope to get back to everything else. And, and reality is that if you watch the news once a day, at half hour, you got everything what you wanted today. But you really have to continue with your life. You're watching the news all the time. It's not going to make anything go faster. I've got to tell you that right now. If anything else, it may depress you because sometimes they show you the negative before they show you the positive things that happen in the world. The reality mm-hmm. is that this is a really time to basically think what's best for everybody else. Think about what, what's best for, you know, for the nation, and that is not to be selfish, not to hoard things out. When, when stores and have to limit items to compensate for people's action, that's when you know things are bad. Okay? We're not short of food around here in the United States, but when you have to tell people that you can only buy so many eggs, that's because to make sure that people don't go out of hand. As you mentioned, parks have been closed. I've seen basketball um, hoops have been taken down because people keep violating to go out there and play basketball with their buddies. Okay? These are little things like that that make things just, just prolong our efforts to get, to get back healthy. And that's really what it is, is to get back healthy. And so for myself, I look at this and thinking, okay, guys, think about what's best for everybody else. Think about what's best for the nation. The sooner we do this, the sooner we get back healthy, the sooner we get back to what, what you enjoy. But thinking of your interests, it's just, it's not productive. Absolutely. Now, we've seen for the last month or so a lot of negative. Um, but you, you told me, Sam, that you're seeing an awful lot of silver linings during this quarantine. What are, what are you seeing that's very positive that gives you hope? You know, I'm like every, every situation, almost every situation in life has a silver lining, and I'll say almost. And even this situation does it. I've seen things that I probably haven't seen in a long time or probably never seen. And I've seen things where, you know, people have learned to appreciate have risen. Little appreciations. People have learned to appreciate many different things and, and it basically from people, from others, just the things that they do normally every day and not take for granted. They've learned to appreciate that. 
creativity has risen. People have been so creative in so many ways to not only how, how to spend time with their families, how to entertain their families, how to educate their families, how to basically do the things that they need to do and, and keep a positive, positive mindset. Uh, they've really been really great. I mean, I, one thing I have to say that some of the humor that came out of this thing has been really funny just because people are trying to be creative and trying to be positive. Those are really, really great. It just shows you that people are not given up. People are just trying to do their best to overcome this. And again, that goes back to being very patriotic as well, I think. Cooperation with, has risen. People are cooperating a lot more than before. I mean, today you go into somewhere, so you want to get a cup of coffee, and you know, you're going to get it to go. There's a standing. People have a standard. They're actually standing away from each other, doing what they need to do. Um, I've seen basically an elderly woman bagging her, ba- uh, her, her uh, groceries where somebody came in and helped her out so she, can, so she, can, she doesn't stay there too long. And so there's a lot of cooperation been, been affected, and people have just learned how to kind of give and take. And that's really, really positive. Again, um, people have learned to be much more empathetic and, more, and much more sympathetic to others as well. And I've seen that rise more and more. And this is something important because I know, we know people are, generally speaking, there are a lot of good people out there. And we know that exists. Mm-hmm. But during this time, it just surfaced and you can see it and you can hear it and you can see it. And that's really, really Beautiful. Arguments about trivial matters have reduced. <laughs> politics, religion, whatever things that people normally argue about, especially politics, I think that has probably dropped significantly, and that probably made me happy. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when you turn on social media, you turn on the TV, and it's always this negative thing with the politics, one person saying another thing, that has dropped quite a bit. Still exists a little here and there, but it's dropped quite a bit, and I'm really happy about that. So, you know, that's a lesson to learn. We don't need to have that, even when we get back to home, we don't need to have that all the time. You know, you can live without the, the trivial arguments about politics. You know, when, when the voting comes in, you know who you're going to vote for, everything else, you know the issues, stick to the topic instead of just this badgering back and forth and, and creating more drama. So I'm very happy to see that that is reduced quite a bit. And those are all great points. One thing I've seen from leaders and and the best leaders are are doing things um, uh, to to help. Um, The the, uh, chairman of the the, uh, New England Patriots flies a jet over to get material to bring to to hospitals. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I know that are sewing face masks. And they're they're bringing them and dropping them off in front of the of the medical centers and the hospitals. Correct. There's correct. And I was seeing leaders in my old hometown, uh, um, Buffalo, where I grew up. It was a pizza place, and the owner there and the leader there said, "You know, people aren't coming in because they got to stay away. So we're we've got this dough, we got this material. We're going to make all these pizzas. We're going to deliver them to the hospital." That, that is absolutely Those correct. kind of and things. The Patriots, in fact, sent over thirty over thirty thousand masks to New York, and I remember mm-hmm. seeing that article. And uh, as one could say, they lived up to their name, did they not? 
Um, absolutely. Absolutely. There have been a lot of things like that, and I, and I wish they would show it even more. This is stuff that you want to see in the media, as those people are doing the things that they're doing. And I personally did know people actually making masks, delivering them, helping others as well. Um, you're seeing this, and this is the beautiful part about it. You're seeing this from regular people, everyday people, which is wonderful. Some leaders I've taken, and, and I'm glad to see this, have in, in the political world have put their bigotry aside and actually worked together. No name-calling, no finger-pointing, just straight working together to overcome this process, to overcome this whole thing. And that's been positive as well. One of the things I said in the outset was leaders in a time of crisis come from places you don't expect. And the people who are reaching out, the people making the masks, the people delivering food to the elderly, the people going to the store, seniors, those are the leaders And when we come out of this, and we will come out of this, those are the individuals who will continue to rise and improve organizations. Is that what you see? I do. I do. And I'm also interested to see what people's old normality is going to be when we go back to the new normality. Are they going to change? Are they going to try to change? Are they going to improve upon what they've had? What are they going to do? Or do they just want to go back to the same old what they've had before? I don't think anyone's lives are going to be the same. And I may not be drastically different and may not be usually different, but there's going to be some changes. And you have to welcome the change. And leaders, especially, and when you go back to work, when you go back to what you're doing, or you're even still working, you have to think about the situation because this is not something that, you're, that we're not going to come across as again. This is a new normal or this is a new way, but certainly, as you mentioned, it's a restart button. But you have a situation, when, when you have a situation like this that disturbs your normal every day, now you have to think about what your normal day is going to be like tomorrow. And it's not going to be the same. That's absolutely the case. And as people come back, they've got a purpose. They see that they could work from home. See, it's not necessary to do be in an office from nine to five. You're giving people opportunity to get their kids to their doctor's appointment, to see mm-hmm. your child's uh, performance uh, at school, which is in the middle of the afternoon, and the quality of life is going to improve. I believe that. I, I agree with you. And what what's going to be measured more now is that not so much whether you've been in the office for eight, for eight hours, but your product. But, you know, you could be in, at home and be more productive, or you could be in the office be productive, depending on each individual, but you're going to be seeing who, the, the productivity of each individual is what they do, whether you're leading a team, whether you're, you're customer service and so on. Whatever you do, it's going to be, that's going to be much more important now is to actually what you do rather than just being there for eight hours or being there somewhere for a long time and just being seen. So that's going to be a topic Absolutely. of discussion. Because when come performance reviews, this is that's important. And really, in reality, is, is that that's really what should, should be done in the first place. If you can do your job at home and be productive, you should, only, you should be judged on what you do, not just because you're in the office for eight hours. That's correct. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time. This has been just a fascinating conversation, and the hour went way too fast. 
I want to thank Sam Alterwell for sharing his his knowledge and his wisdom in this area. Please listen to this. Please share it with your staff, with your employees, with your friends. This is a conversation everyone needs to hear. So thank you very much, Sam. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me again. It's been a pleasure. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want more information about Sam, contact me at Life Altering Events by pressing the uh, email of the host, and I'll make sure it gets to him. If you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can see them on, uh, listen to them on demand at any number of places, now including iHeartRadio, Alexa, and Google, all of which picked up the show recently. You can go to the Life Altering Event homepage or my website, franksakari.com. Let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Sam showed you where many of those rocks are. Stay safe. Join me again next week for another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cup.